0: Hey everybody, this is Josh McKinney, and I just want to welcome you to episode 196 of the I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show. So today, I have a really fun one for you guys. It was actually going to be a one-part episode, and then I recorded for like an hour and a half. And I decided it was probably best to make it a two-part episode. And so for the next two weeks, we are going to talk about training method. And we are going to look at today, uh, these are kind of like my four favorite training methods. These are, or not favorite, these are my four uh, first training methods, sorry. Um, These are like the first ones that I ever really understood, I ever really tried to implement. And then next week, we are going to look at four other training methods that are ones that I've discovered um, since. Uh, And uh, of course, we're going to finish with Designated Winner. And spoiler alert, I told you guys that it was going to come out this week that I was going to tell you about the new Designated Winner breakthroughs, but as it just so happens, I am not doing that. It's a two part episode and the designated winner stuff is until the very end of episode two. And so I'm sorry for lying to you guys. I do it a lot. I mean, it's kind of my thing. Um, but you know, I'm I'm sorry. It's just, it's just kind of how it goes I'll hit <laughs> <sighs> hit my trombone um, if I if you guys didn't know I have a new audio interface and so I just wanted to make sure to show you guys that uh, show you guys let you guys be impressed by all the fancy gadgets check this out the the studio still needs cleaned up but it is pretty much finished um, I don't know why I have two of the exact same shot but I just have the cameras on so they can so I can know that they work. Um, but yeah, give you guys boom, boom, boom. If you guys are watching on video, you can see those really cool first ever sneak peeks peaks of the jujitsu side of Simplifying Jujitsu Studios, or at least the new jujitsu side of Simplifying Jujitsu Studios. So, um, do I have anything else to get into before this episode? Oh, yeah, real quick, check out this t shirt I got if you guys are watching on video. I've got my, broke out the old Leo Optics t-shirt if you guys don't know leo optics they are a brazilian Jiu-Jitsu sunglass company uh really i don't know if there's any other one i know they were for sure the first of their kind but i don't know if there's any other one even at this point but what's really cool about leo optics is they are now sponsoring me here's the thing i was their first i think i might have been their second sponsor in 2004 15, it might have been even late 2014. I was one of their first sponsored athletes when they first came on the scene. Um, I had to actually scroll back on my Instagram page way, 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 like eight years back to, to see that. And I don't recommend that. I, I probably don't recommend it with you. You probably were as pretentious and annoying as I was. Uh, but Lord, how many shirtless pictures did I post back then? having no abs are you kidding me josh come on how old eight years ago come on 20 year old josh get it together dude um but anyway uh they were one of my first sponsorships and in that time i still have leo optic sunglasses eight years later that i still have and i still wear every day And so if that is not a great endorsement for this product, here's one. If you guys want 10% off of anything in the store at Leo Optics, go to leooptics.com and use promo code McKinney at checkout. That is M-C-K-I-N-N-E-Y. That's my last name if you didn't know. Um, But I'll make sure to link in the description. Um, But if you guys want to check out some really sick jujitsu sunglasses, and I don't know, maybe if you guys buy enough, maybe we can get a collab going and there can be an I suck at jujitsu show sunglass, which would be pretty cool. And so um, we will move on and we will look at, was there anything I wanted to make sure to mention? Oh yeah, real quick. Wanted to make sure to mention we do have, if you guys want to skip ahead like three minutes and start listening to the episode totally okay, would not offend me at all. And I actually probably wouldn't even know. But um, we had three new interviews come out over the last week and a half. Normally, I'm doing episodes on Thursdays, which just like this, it's solo episodes. But I got a concussion last, who knows when, like a week and a half ago. And I wasn't able to record a Thursday episode. Um, it's just I could tell that the mind wasn't too focused. Not that it is in this episode, just so you know, just to brace yourself, not that I'm focused yet. Um, but yeah, the mind isn't, uh, it, it wasn't feeling too strong. It wasn't feeling too good. And so I just released a, an interview instead, but I just want to make sure I mentioned all three interviews just so you guys knew about them. If you weren't just des- hadn't decided on listening to one or, or any of them. Um, but the first one I did, this would have been a week and a half ago would have been Justin Kitchler. Justin is one of my brand new black belts. He and I have trained together for like 15 years. And so getting to promote him to Black Belt was a super special thing, but then just like getting to be a big part of his jujitsu journey in different roles. You know, we started as training partners and then it kinda of became there came a point where I was his coach and then getting to promote him to black belt and now he is one of my coaches and one of my guys that I coach with, you know, and, and one of my peers again, and that has just been super, super cool. And so I highly recommend that in that episode, more people have verbalized like in person told me And keep in mind, that's always going to be a head nod bias. You know, I see more people from my school than anywhere. Um, but more people have told me that that is the favorite episode, favorite interview that we've ever done on the I Jiu Jitsu show. Second, more people have told me about the inspiration from this episode than probably any other episode in the I Jujutsu Jiu Jitsu show. It is with my other new black belt, one of my three. Um, so that's two of my three new black belts. Um, but it is with Rob Hanshy and Bionic Rob. We call him Bionic Rob because there were times in the gym that this dude would lamp in on freaking no hips and have braces and tape and everything he's like darth vader in the scene right before they put on darth vader's helmet um you're like is this dude all machine um but bionic rob had a double hip replacement when he was a brown belt and i don't want to spoil or spoil anything for you but as i told you he is one of my black belts now he has been able to come back and train and teach and look at jiu from a totally different perspective and it's been really cool you guys really like that episode too and then the third interview that i'll sell you guys on is um My interview with Austin Orande, who actually is fighting on flow grappling tonight. If you guys um, wanted to watch Who's Number One, you could check out Austin. I believe he is on the undercard of the event, but he is also fighting a black belt that is very tough. And it should, I would expect, if I'm guessing, if you said, Josh, what's going to happen, I'm guessing it's going to be a shootout. I'm guessing it is going to be a... Fight for quick submission match, and uh, yeah, you guys should absolutely check that out. I bet that'll be really good. Um, but that is pretty much all that I have for you guys. I know that was a really long intro, but I just want to make sure I mentioned those three interviews. And let's go ahead and jump into today's episode and look at um, kind of why training method is important and then look at really this is a brief history of training method if i'm being honest because i go over the four training methods that were around when i started and so um then i guess man that's a good name for the two-parter i guess this will be called a brief history of training method and then next week will be called the future of training method um spoiler alert it's uh it's they're both not very good they're both they're both pretty off the rails and um there's no focus and I'm just bouncing off the walls doing cartwheels I'm sorry uh, it'd be like that sometimes guys let's go ahead and get into today's episode all right guys let's go ahead and get into this episode I'm still obviously messing with a lot of uh, a lot of different sound things I uh, mean there's all kinds of things I can scroll through here. I can't wait to, to really get into these and uh, and really be annoying with them. Um, there's no way Bryce could figure out how to use these, though. He's useless. I, no, sorry, sorry. I'm not saying anything bad about Bryce. Um, let's just move on. So let's get in to first before we get into the seven training methods, the seven main training methods um, that I think everyone should know about. And um, let's talk about why they matter. What is a training method? What was training before this? Um, so really, when when you look at jujitsu training for me, I'm going to give this from my perspective as someone who's come up for the last almost 16 years. Okay, and so I've been I've been in the jiu-jitsu space for a long time. I've gotten to see a lot, and um, you know, when people first started, the old school people to me, they came up in a method that was only live training. And that was the training method that you had. There really wasn't drilling. There really wasn't positional sparring. You would show up on a, you know, on a Wednesday, and you would sometimes, a lot of places, would watch a VHS Gracie tape um, together. and Or maybe if you were lucky enough to have a blue belt or someone like that in your city, maybe you could actually learn jujitsu from a real human being. But very seldom was that the thing in my version of old school. So probably 25 years ago with jujitsu in America. And um, you could just train live. You would just show up and then you would fight really hard until you were all completely gassed and beat up. And then you would go home and then you would do it again and again and again and people would fall off and people would come back and you know everyone kind of fought MMA in that time it was just like if you were doing jiu-jitsu you were doing it to prove that jiu-jitsu worked and so it was a very different time by the time I start coming in and I was really fortunate with the team that I with the coach really that I got under um if I hadn't gotten under Kyle initially. I don't know where my jujitsu would have been because I know that his thoughts on training method at the time were next level because his coach's thoughts on training method at the time were next level. So um, I'll, I'll give you an example. I remember being a blue belt. And we did positional sparring at Kyle's all the time. We'll get into what that is uh, if you don't know. But uh, we used to do this at Kyle's gym every single night. Whatever position we were working, we were going to spar from that position. Still, this is something that I do in my gym pretty much every night I teach. And this is this was new back then. People weren't doing this. And Kyle Kyle knew about it. And he knew about it because his coach knew about it. And I remember doing this type of training. What's interesting in jiu-jitsu, as you're coming up, you're not thinking like, oh, this is a secret sauce that my coach is teaching. Usually when you first start, you're like, this is probably what everyone's doing. This is how you learn jiu And then the further you get, you get 15 years down the road, and you go, wait, 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 wait. People look at me like I used to look at the 15-year black belts when I started. What if they are as clueless as I am now? What if they are as clueless as me? It makes me go, oh, okay, well, maybe they didn't have everything figured out. Maybe they were trying to wing it too. Maybe they were trying to go, okay, I'm doing a lot of this by feel. I'm trying to decide what's working and what's not working. I'm still learning with you guys as a coach. And when I started to look at that, I started to look back and go, wow, the things that Kyle used to make us do, it was crazy because no one else was doing it. When, if I would have went to other gyms, when I would go to other gyms and cross train, because Kyle was always cool on that, I would go to these other schools, we would train together, and they would just live roll. And that was what everyone did. And then we we're positional sparring, and it was mind-blowing, and we actually were getting really good because of this. I then, as a blue belt, I started to learn about what I would call now exploration drilling. And deadpan drilling. And these three things, it was unbelievable how much better I was getting than a lot of guys that I was competing against. And I'm pretty confident that we were training pretty close to the same amount of time. Um, but it was just like I, and, and I didn't realize at the time, I just thought I was good. Um, but now looking back, I go, oh, wow, those training methods, they were making huge differences for me as a competitor and me as an athlete. And so now trying to deconstruct all these, where I'm at now, I can look back and go, okay, these are what matters. These are how you use these training methods. Um, but really, to me, it is it shows this, um, how jujitsu is now. Meaning like, how well, so, okay. So if you were to take me at three years of jujitsu training, and I was really good. Maybe even guys that could beat me that were also at three years of jiu training. At that time, you know, like, I wasn't far from some of the better guys that had trained for that short period of time. But now, there are students that I have that have been training for three years, and you never really know how this would be. But I just see them and I go, these guys might wreck me when I was, when I was had been training for three years. It might not even be close. Part of that is just that there's so much more free knowledge, so much more access to knowledge. But a big reason is we know how to train to get better now. And not everyone knows that yet. And so that is what this episode is. That is what the importance of training method is. Training method is how you get better at jujitsu. When we look at jujitsu jitsu as this big whole thing, as it's this oneness then we have to approach it from, okay, do I win or lose? That's how I know if I'm getting good or not. Am I winning or losing? Right? Am I getting submissions or am I getting tapped out? That is how we learn jujitsu when it comes to live rolling. That is that method. And don't get me wrong. This is a real training method. You think at the best schools in the world that they're all about really focused training method that they're all doing designated winner, that they're all positional sparring? No. At some schools, they can just use the timer as a training method because the room is so strong, right? That idea that iron sharpens iron, The I guess the verse, that iron sharpens iron, You know, you see that. When you have all world champions in a room and you make them train together, they just come out of that room better all the time. They don't have to do any crazy training methods. But for mere mortals like you and I, we usually, one, we just can't physically keep up with that, right? This is why I argue that the, the training model of jiu-jitsu is built around steroid use, is because that training is really only sustainable, not possible, but sustainable over a long period of time, unless you are just superhuman. There are people that are. But for most of us, that type of training of just Live rolling every day. Today is performance day just like yesterday and just like tomorrow. Every day I'm here to perform and win rounds and that's what it's about. That's a young man's game. You just can't sustain that. You cannot sustain that over time, especially if you hope to be a jiu-jitsu athlete. You hope to perform. For me, I've told you guys the biggest difference. I've had more success this year for sure. I've been better at jiu-jitsu on the competition mats for sure, in my own feeling, in my own eyes, right? But here's been the big difference for me is I have focused on performing that day and not put all this pressure on myself to perform every other day in the gym. Every other day in the gym, I'm breaking down my skills, my strengths, my weaknesses, and saying, what should I be working on? Sometimes they're as simple as getting underhooks. Dude, I've been losing underhooks on people, and I don't lose underhooks. Why is this happening? I might positional spar and try to focus on underhooks. I might play designated winner where we're just fighting for underhooks. All kinds of different things that I could do to strengthen that that one little piece, right? But when I look at jujitsu as a whole, I can't do that. I can only live train. So I have to look at my jujitsu as – However, I want, however, I think it should be broken down. For me, it's like you break it down into your three main parts on your bo- on your butt or back or whatever, you know, down, on top, and then standing. Those are your real three main fights of jujitsu. Yes, they connect. Yes, you can win the standing fight by getting grips on the sitting on your butt fight, and then use those grips all the way to take the person down and then pass their guard, and you'll win every fight off the same grips. You know, yes, those they all do melt together. But you can usually look at them individually. When I'm competing against guys, I can usually go, okay, this dude's top game is super good. My bottom game is very good too. But I wonder if that's where we're closest, right? Because when I watch him on the feet, he's not near as good. And maybe I'm not as good as I am at bottom as I am on the feet. But when I'm on the feet, like I I'm might I'm like maybe an eight. And this dude's like a three on the feet. But when he's on top, he's a 10, And I'm a nine in my guard, right? Well, what about when I'm on top? Okay, it's going to be close when I'm on top. Well, it makes sense to me to keep this fight on the feet as long as possible where I'm an eight and he's a three. Beat him up as much as I can there. Win the grip fights as much as I can there. And then take them to the next fight so I can hopefully win that next fight. That only... I can only think in those terms because I broke it down into these three main parts. Then those main parts of course, have a bunch of little skills. And that is how you look at jujitsu. And that's why training method matters because training method allows you to train individual skills. Instead of just hoping that you get enough repetition of whatever you're trying to work on in your live training, you actually can define it and you can say, I need to get focused repetition. I need to be obsessed with this position to get good at it. And that is... That is the answer to why training method, I guess, is making sure that you are, you know, making sure you're getting usually your focused reps and then usually, I guess, understanding is probably separate from training method when I think about it. Um, but I think I had one more thing to say about that. Where am I at in my notes? I've been rambling. Um, your training method should accomplish most of these things. Oh, yeah. This is always this is always a big I Suck at Jiu-Jitsu show talking point. We hit this a lot. And it's the two things you need to get good at jiu And I really do think you need two things to get good at jujitsu. You need understanding. So what you're doing right now, you're trying to increase your understanding of training method. That's very important for jujitsu learning. That's very important for jujitsu progression. When you're watching an instructional, you're increasing jiu understanding. When you are learning from your coach, when you're asking your coach a good question, you're increasing your jujitsu understanding. Sometimes when you're just eavesdropping on two people talking about jujitsu, I do this so often. A lot of times I walk around my gym um, after I show something and then hopefully I explained it well enough that nobody has any questions. And I walk around, nobody has any questions, sweet. Then I usually will go to the best guys in the room and they don't have any questions. They they, they know this, I've taught this 100 times to them. And they're working it and then I just sit and watch them drill it and listen to their jujitsu conversation. Just listen to what they're saying about it and what they're feeling about it. And then usually they're excited and they're like, hey, coach, check this out. We figured this grip out. And I increase my jiu-jitsu understanding. Literally while teaching a class, I am able to increase that part of my jujitsu, you know, if I'm good or not at jujitsu, right? You help me with the detail. That's my understanding. You help me. With a big idea, that's my understanding, right? I just hear people talk about it and conversate about it. A lot of times it makes me go, oh, okay, I never thought about it that way. You know, I never think about these positions that way. And I still do this 15 years in, more now than I've ever done it. Those jiu-jitsu conversations increase your jiu-jitsu understanding. Whatever those conversations are, whether you're listening to somebody else's, whether it's me just talking right to you in your car, whether it's your coach, no matter what, those conversations are helpful to your jiu-jitsu knowledge. But then, here's the pitfall. People go, "Well, I watched I watched John Danaher's instructional, so I know now. I know." Ask me, ask me about fulcrums, man. I know. But here's the thing. Could you explain it differently? No. You could only repeat what John Danaher, who does understand, said. Because John Danaher, he could explain it probably 50 different ways. He understands the position. He understands the idea. You heard him say it. And you go, yeah, I understand the idea. I heard what he said. I can repeat it back to you. Jiu-Jitsu doesn't work like that. You've got to get repetition. And I know I use John Danaher as my example. You're like, oh, well, well, John Danaher, he doesn't compete. Yes, but he still has gotten a lot of Jiu-Jitsu competition. He and Sean Williams come up together. You can go back to Sean Williams' episode of the show and hear what he had to say about how much those guys were training. Um, it's more than probably anybody, <laughs> and they were getting repetition. That's why he can't train anymore. Is because physically he's so beat up from the training that they did, and um, and then I think, you know, bad surgeries too. I've heard. I don't know. We're getting – you guys are digressing here, all right? Get focused back on what I had to say, um, and I will too. Um, but, uh, yeah, last little note that I wanted to make before we dig into the seven most important training methods um, and then the eighth wonder of the world. We – I wanted to make sure to just mention this kind of story because I think it's really important. First, we'll go to the – shoot, I have two things to mention. Whoa, we're all over the place to get today, guys. Um, so – Um, let's go first with Eric's story. So I am teaching class. This is like two weeks ago and I'm showing triangles and for perspective, I have 50 plus finishes in tournaments and competition by triangle. Um, you know, they, they call me the Asian triangle machine. Nobody's ever called me that, but I do a lot of triangles or at least I have at times and I'm a a good explainer of jujitsu and I am teaching one of my best moves. And I'm showing some thoughts and I think they're really important. And there's one part I actually do note In my mind, like, I need a better way to explain this. And it's this idea that when you're doing a triangle, as soon as your hands start to grab your shin, you start to create your angle. And then um, what happens is you start to round your back and it becomes really easy to stack you. And if you get stacked, it means your hips are kind of stacked on top of your chest and you just can't triangle guys that way. A lot of times, if you just were to extend your hamstrings into the guy's shoulders, if that makes sense, and like get away from him just scoot your head drive your head back and get out from under him you will finish way more triangles more than any other hand fight more than anything a lot of times good triangle guys hit their triangles off of the grips that they set up their triangles they finish them off of those grips it's not until you make them that they start hand fighting right and so um, i'm trying to explain this and it takes me even longer to explain it than it just explained it to you guys now and um I'm walking around seeing if people need help. A few people need help on this idea because I didn't do a good job explaining it. I walk over to Eric. Eric is one of my black belts, but he also doesn't play guard because he wrestled his whole life and he's 275 pounds. Eric Huebner been on the show two times coming on again soon. Um, but he is showing one of the other guys um, that he's working with one of the, the purple belts triangles. and they're going back and forth and I'm hearing them talk like I said, I like to listen to jiu Jitsu conversations. And I hear Eric say, stop using your hands so early." He goes, as soon as you start he goes, as soon as you start using your hands, you stop using your legs and your legs are what matter in this position And I was like, boom, that's what I should have said That was perfect. That is so, I'm like, yeah, I was telling about driving your head back. All those things are important, but it is. As soon as your hands reach to your legs, your back gets rounded. I was highlighting the back rounding thing, but he broke down that back rounding thing to, yeah, just stop reaching for your legs, dude. Get your legs in the right position. Get your legs in the right position. He's like, not until the very last second, once my legs are almost there, do I let go with my hands and start to use them on my legs to to lock it up. And I was like, this dude, this dude has zero competitive triangle finishes. I have a lot. And he just explained it better than me. And if I wasn't eavesdropping on a jujitsu conversation, and don't get me wrong, you come to a Josh McKinney triangle seminar in a year, I'm not gonna give him credit for that. I'm gonna act like this is my idea and my sentence, just like every other sentence that I throw in that I also stole, got inspired by. And um, man. If there was, yeah, if there's a subplot of this episode, there is a lot of things I'm gonna reference back to, inspiration, um, and they're really just stolen ideas. Let's just get to the my the the training method breakdown. I'm not gonna get any further on where I'm trying to go here. What's up guys? Josh McKinney here. I just want to tell you about something really exciting that we have going on at simplifyingjujitsu.com. So I told you guys, I showed you guys some quick little clips of the studio and just some little background video uh, kind of angles and stuff for you guys. Um, But besides cleanup, the studio is done. All I have to do is kind of get things cleaned up, get a few wires organized, and we are ready to go we're going to be putting out more content at simplifying jiu-jitsu but what we wanted to make sure of is we had so many good courses that we've released in the old studio and during the old and even in the old gyms um but we've released and during that time uh We've had new listeners and there are a lot of people that haven't even heard about STDs for BJJ, simplifying takedowns for BJJ with Kyle Watson, who has an 80 plus percent takedown rate in competition, which is ungodly. No one has that, and he can make takedowns simpler for you. And guess what? That course, along with every other course at simplifyingjiu-jitsu.com is 50% off, okay? And that is only for the entire month of May, and May is almost over. You know, we're more than halfway at this point. Everything that, like, all those things I told my wife that I would have done by May, I'm planning on, like man how do I get these done before June ends you know we're getting to that point in the month and so uh, be sure to use promo code new studio to get 50% off the entire store at simplifyingjujitsu.com and uh, yeah there's some really great stuff including my dad and I's most recent instructional how to learn Jujitsu." Um, this is this has been like you know this was kind of a culmination of training methods. So this episode, if you're interested in this episode, if you like this episode so far, that instructional is going to give you some actual video versions of what these training methods actually look like. And so uh, yeah, you guys will Absolutely love that. But again, only available for the ha- the rest of the month until June 1st. So June 1st, this is done, and then you'll never get a deal at simplifyingjujitsu.com. That's probably not true. Um, and you can do that with promo code NEWSTUDIO. You get half off of anything. Get over to the store, and we'll get back to learning about Jujitsu training method. So let's look at... The, the main training methods that there are, how and why to use them, and then some common pitfalls. And I think that that's important because we're going to talk about live rolling first. Live rolling is important. We need to live roll, right? That's where we get to – one, live rolling is like – it's what separates us from most other martial arts. You know, that's really the only difference to me is that we get to go 100% doing our art against an opponent. And there's very little risk of injury. You know, we get to go really hard with striking arts. You cannot do that. Physically. There's no guys that are doing 15 years of a striking art, full speed sparring every night for 30 minutes, like we do with jujitsu. And, um, I mean, there probably are, but they're, they're, they're in a lot of pain right now. Um, but you know, With our training method, with live rolling, this is something that's important, but it shouldn't be your only training method. For me, just changing my view, and I've told you guys this a little bit, but changing my view and um, separating volume and performance, skill development and performance training, those are two different things anymore to me. And I usually separate them by the day. If I am doing performance training anymore for me, it is at an open mat where I know that I'm going to get as many rounds as I need. I know I'm going to have time to rest if I need to, like a tournament would be. You know, Usually there's 15, 20 minutes in between rounds at a tournament, and I am only rolling with tough guys. I'm using everything that I can, every strategy that I can, anything I can do to win rounds. That day is performance for me. When I'm rolling, if I get called out by one of my blue belts, he's he's going to be in for a world of hurt that day. That day is performance. Most other days, I would say at this point for me, 90% of my training, even the days that I am quote-unquote rolling live, I'm rolling at like 40%. I'm rolling it, maybe I'll, I'll jump up to 60 in little bursts, but I am not trying to fight hard. I am trying to develop certain skills. Sometimes I'm just trying to get movement. But usually it's like I need to work my guard passing. And so working it smoother with a lot more repetition hits that understanding and repetition idea that we were talking about, right? Um, that you need both understanding and repetition to get good. And live tra- or, or, or training method is where you get your repetition. And so um, as we look at live rolling, big pitfall of live rolling is just doing it too much too hard. You can do a ton of live rolling, but if you don't go 100%, it lets you do a ton of live rolling. But if you go 100% all the time, it is very hard on your body to roll every day. It's just uh, especially those small injuries, they add up, and then you get a couple bad days of sleep, and they're a catastrophic injury. And it's because you are training too much hard too much volume too much intensity you want to kind of adjust those two things I look at my live training so much is like there are days that I'm going to go in and do 10 five-minute rounds which is a ton of rounds do 15 five-minute rounds but I'm going to be really careful about my partners I'm not going to go even if I'm going with guys that are better than me I'm not going with guys that are going to hurt me if I like You know, there are guys, even as a black belt, there are certain blue belts that if I go with of my own, my own students, that if I go with, they might bring the heat on me. And if I let them have a position, they're going to get payback on all those times that I have abused them mentally and physically. They're going to do that. They should, I deserve it. Here's the thing. I'm not rolling with those guys on, on volume days, unless I'm aware that like, okay, I need to go a little harder this round, right? And I have the energy to do it. You know, you're listening to your body, but any more really separating like, today is a day to get better at jujitsu and today is a day to see how good I've gotten at jujitsu. And then you're not, one, you're not like stressed all the time at jujitsu. You're not going, this dude passed my guard today. Who cares, dude? You're working on guard retention. Your guard should be getting passed. That shows that you have people in your gym that you could be working your guard retention up to. This is a good thing. And you can do this type of training in live rolling. We'll talk kind of about that when we get to, um, what what is that that I'm talking about getting to? Oh, live drilling. That was the last thing we're gonna talk about. Uh, But when we get to live drilling, we'll talk a little more about it um, but let's move on to deadpan drilling. And this is something I told, I, I referenced in the beginning of the episode. This was around when I started jiu-jitsu, but it was just starting to come around. And it really got made famous by um, Lloyd Irvin and that group at that time, Your his first group, Keenan Cornelius, JT Torres, um, your Mike Fowler, those, Ryan Hall, that whole crew that kind of came up. I guess I named some old, a little bit older, like second generation guys, but still, you know what I mean. Um, but Lloyd really made a lot of money doing online marketing stuff, but he really did a good job explaining to people how you should be getting better at jujitsu. He explained like, hey, you could be getting a lot of reps. You could be drilling. And they were, you know, drilling really simple stuff, but they were drilling a lot and it was allowing his guys in shorter periods of time to win matches and and win beat really tough guys and there were not many Americans beating tough guys and so um you know at that time and so this deadpan drilling idea just getting a lot of reps of whatever you're trying to get good at and then looking at each position like okay well I need three guard passes okay we'll get 10,000 reps on all three guard passes that you hit uh this is Still, a method of training. And it gets a lot of, it's just like anything else. Like everyone hated concept, right? Concept was the stupidest thing ever. These guys are snake oil salesmen. Oh my gosh, concept's the greatest thing ever. Everyone teaches in concepts. All I do is concepts and systems now, right? Everyone did that. And deadpan drilling is the same way. Everyone loved it. Now everyone hates it. And Maybe there will be a point in the game that it comes back, but it has a specific reason behind it. It's when you are taking a specific situation, something that maybe you look at happens a lot, and you want to build a response to it that you don't have to think about. Well, how you do that generally is repetition. And one of the easiest ways on your body to get a lot of reps is deadpan drilling. But here is the danger of the deadpan drill you're not drilling with any type of real resistance and so it can as a lot of martial arts do become a choreographed dance you can and i'll give you an example on this i bash this all the time so might as well just jump on a soapbox and and be really uh divisive today this decisive divisive i don't know trying to split people in two you guys know what i mean um, so, the closed guard arm bar How many closed guard arm bars are done around America to warm up in jujitsu class? Probably a lot. every single day, people are doing closed guard arm bars. here's the thing: How many of those people then are taking that closed guard arm bar and hitting it? In live training, not taking a closed guard armbar and hitting it in live training, but the warm-up closed guard armbar. We know what I'm talking about. Hands in. I'll grab onto both of your sleeves, which I would never do in a real round. I would never just hold on to both of someone's sleeves. And then I'm just going to, you're going to leave your armpit space wide open by extending your arm straight, which you're not going to do. And then, unless you just started jujitsu and you don't know what I'm doing, so why am I going against, why am I working so hard to hit a closed guard armbar on a guy who is doing something stupid already? Anyway, then I just create this insane angle that also you never get to do. And I hit this arm bar, but I don't finish the arm bar. I hit it about a half of percent. And then I take my leg off of your head and I kick myself all the way around to the other side. Where's my crickets button? Wow. That's not the crickets that I expected to hear. Um, that was not a very, I need a new crickets sound there. Um, but anyway, uh, think about that. There aren't many people hitting these. You watch competition. You are not seeing many close guard armbars. Yet it is drilled so much a certain way, and it doesn't work that way. Close guard armbars do work, but we just don't, most of us, do not think about them or drill them in a way that works. The shrimp up and down the mats. Me and one of my purple belts were not even really – he's not even really one of my purple belts. He's one of my coaches' purple belts. He, like, teaches at my gym now and stuff. He's not even my guy. Um, but anyway, he was – we were talking about um, the idea of warm-ups and stuff. And so, the, I, of course, the topic of shrimping up and down the mat came up. And he his argument was, hey, there are certain movements that people – don't know how to make and learning to shrimp helps them learn to make those movements. And yes, I totally agree with that. But the fact that you are now making purple belts who know how to do those movements, obviously shrimp up and down the mats is mind boggling to me. They could be warming up by just drilling real side control escapes in real mount escapes. And what I mean by that is if we take a video of me shrimping up and down the mat, and then we take a video of me escaping mount, even if I quote-unquote am doing a shrimp escape against a real resisting opponent, the movement doesn't look the same. The real fight of the movement is whether or not I can get on my side. That's not what we focus on when we shrimp. We focus on making this weird hip-to-toe-touch movement um, so we can warm up our bodies, right? Uh, You don't do that on a real mount escape. So when it comes to deadpan drilling, that is the pitfall are you drilling something that you are actually going to use and that is tough because you're drilling something specific jiu jitsu can get very non specific very quickly you can drill your closed guard armbar forever and then the guy you're going with pulls guard and then it just doesn't matter right you're like crap i don't know how to pass the guard right jiu jitsu just can it can change on you very very quickly and so that is the risk of deadpan drilling. Where am I at with it, though? I think it has its uses. I think there are certain positions that you're not going to be good at at first. You know, like a perfect example that people always throw use is a barambolo. That position is very hard to learn. You know, I know people can simplify it, make it easier, and, and be very helpful. But um, there are certain things that I've gotten to talk to some of the best barambolo guys And they still don't have ways of verbalizing yet. Um, And they'll explain it in certain ways and be like, but you kind of just have to do this part. And so, you know, getting reps doing that, maybe just against a very non-resisting opponent, maybe that is the move. Um, But then from deadpan drilling, I think the next thing to look at is the idea of a repeating drill. And so with repeating drills, what that is, and this is a really good thing for someone new. So if you're new in the and you're listening to this episode and you're like, okay, this dude's been talking about a lot of stuff and I am lost. Take this away. If you want something to make jujitsu easier for you, find some repeating drills. Some drills that you and your partner are able to hit in a loop. Okay. Meaning like, okay, Josh does knee cut and then ends up in side control, goes to mount, and then gets bridge and rolled off from mount. And then the other guy opens the guard, does knee cut, gets the side control, moves to mount, bridge and roll off to mount. And obviously that's a really simple one. Tenth Planet honestly has the best repeating drills. Um, they have a real uh, formula. I don't even remember where I used to watch these on. I'm sure there's a bunch of ways to do them because I know they have a bunch of drills or warm-ups, but they're realistic. They're positions that you would actually – some of them are Tenth Planet stuff. No offense to any Tenth Planet Tenth Planet guys. Um Sometimes your stuff's just crazy, uh, just simply to be crazy, you know? Um, and so some of it's going to be like that. But I found that, like, a lot of those drills, even as a, as a eight- or nine-year veteran of jiu-jitsu, they helped me learn leg lock defense so well. And we deadpan drilled them, or repetitively. them, And so I think those things can be very good to just help you get used to certain positions that you don't understand yet. Because when you first start, you don't understand or feel comfortable from any position. And it's so hard to even realize where you're at. But you hit this repeating drill that has these four or five defined positions in it. Every time you land there, you're going to go, hey, I at least know one move from here, because I've done a repeating drill from here where I have a fight from all these positions. So repeating drills, still similar though, it is deadpan, meaning there is not resistance. Now let's talk about kind of the last thing that was really around when I was around and that was positional sparring. So the positional spar is to me, um, one of the most useful training methods that there is. I still, to this day, I told you guys, this is how I was brought up was positional positional sparring. Um, but this is how most of my students are brought up. Yes, we do new stuff now, but the main thing, the main fight, the main place to get good is in your positional spars. You know, you you increase your understanding, you get some reps. Um, however, with deadpan drilling, or we'll get into designated winner and things like that. Um, but you get some reps. Now it's time to test this. Yes, you can just jump into a live round and test it, but you may not even get a chance. You know, if you're if you are positional sparring single leg X. And then you go into a live round, and you're like, "Dude, I can't wait to hit the single leg X pass on this guy." And the dude doesn't play single leg X; you won't get to hit it. But if you're sparring it, you're going to get some time to go with a real resisting opponent and hit it right. And so, when it comes to uh, when it comes to positional sparring, how it works is you have a defined beginning and end point, and generally, you guys just go either top to bottom, or you do it for a period of time. I'll give you guys my favorite way to positional spar and you can do this in your gym tonight, this works really well and it's super easy, is doing like somewhere between two and three minutes of the position and having people, you have them reset um, each time there's a score submission and then you go top to bottom after the two or three minutes or you can, sometimes the positions are so general, you want them to start, right? Maybe if I'm starting in side control, I don't want to tell guys like, hey, you have to do side control the whole time. If the dude's letting mount open, you know, leaving mount open, move to mount and keep trying to finish him, right? And so maybe my um, beginning and end definition is a little bit differently. How I would have my students spar a dominant position like side control is top guy's job is to finish, bottom guy's job is to get back to closed guard or to um, get on top or obviously to finish if the bottom submission is always there, right? Um, but the top guy only wins by finish. He can take the back, he can mount, he can do whatever, but he's trying to finish this round. And so sometimes we're doing it that way. Um, but the big thing about positional sparring is the longer you do it both sides, the better you're going to get at it. Um, meaning like we do 30 minutes of Daily Hiva passing. We're just sparring from Daily Heva and then we're switching top to bottom. And I am getting, I'm kind of learning how to play Daily Hiva a little bit better, but I'm also learning what resistance to give. And as the top player, I'm going, okay, this this is how I pass this position. And I'm able to kind of connect the two, the top and the bottom really easily. And then I come back and do it a week later. You will go, Whoa, we've gotten a lot better at this. Our rounds, you know, if you're going with the same partner, you're gonna go, our rounds have gotten Like way closer, or we've gotten way deeper in these rounds, right? It's not like just one guy hitting the same thing over and over. Now we create all these different positions, and that comes from just doing it enough with a positional spar. What you're looking at, we talked about this idea of breaking jujitsu down into its three main parts, right? Well, then when you break it down from there, you can start sparring these individual parts, and while you're doing this, while you're sparring these parts, you're getting better. You're going to start to notice, oh, wow, it works better when I reach here or when I grip here or when I do this. So not only in your positional spar, because you're seeing it so many times, not only are you getting the repetition that you want, but it does increase your understanding in the middle of the rounds because, or even after the rounds when you go to think back because you got a lot of focused repetition there if your only goal was just to roll live, you may hit a 1,000 positions in the night, right? If you start from De La heva and then you stop after there's a pass, a sweep, or a submission every single time, you probably only hit four or five different positions at all, right? Different little movements at all. And so then you can start to ask yourself, well, which one felt good? Which one felt bad? Which one didn't I understand? And so when it comes to positional sparring, you are able to get, I think, from all the the before training methods, live rolling, dead pan drilling, repeating drills. I think if you could only have one, the positional spar is the one. And the reason I say this, there's this unique time for me where I was a coach before I was a coach. And it was just, we had a group of guys that were all training together in our garage. And I still was under my coach, but he was just, it was just a little hard to get to his place as much as I needed to. And so I was kind of having to figure out how we should be training. And the big thing that we came away with was positional sparring. Like I said, I've done this as a coach for the last eight years now because we realized back in the Jitsu garage days how important it was and how we could bring in somebody brand new or only with six months of experience and they could become a valuable training partner from a specific position in a day. And one day you are a valuable training partner of close guard. If I explain what the fights are and then we do enough reps of it and we just spar the position over and over, it doesn't mean that you're beating me. It doesn't mean that you're doing great, but you are a good training partner because you know how to at least stop some of the specific stuff that I am doing. And that is my soapbox for positional sparring and my soapbox for why shrimping is stupid. Um, Let's go ahead. And that is the episode. I just want to thank you guys for checking out this episode. Uh, Hopefully, don't forget, I remind you guys at the top of the episode, we have three new interviews. If you haven't checked them out with Justin, Rob, and Austin. And all three are definitely worth the time. Uh, Definitely worth the listen. They're really good good nuggets. Um, Don't listen to Justin's if you get offended by um, Chris Benoit jokes. I don't know why he went so heavy on them, but... He went heavy on him. Uh, he really he really nailed some. And so, uh, yeah, don't check that one out if that offends you. Um, but all three episodes you might really enjoy. And that is all I have for you guys today. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. We'll be back next week, and we will look at a huge designated winner breakthrough. Uh, I'm so pumped about that. And, uh, yeah, that's all I have for you guys today. I hope today's episode was good for you. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you check out three of our latest interviews um or all the latest interviews that we've been doing at the i jiu jitsu show. It's been a lot of work for me and me and guest producer Bryce. Guest producer executive producer Bryce. What a great human being he is. And um yeah, that's all I have for you guys today. I hope today's episode helps you guys suck just a little bit less at jiu jitsu. Have a great day, guys.